Hello again, William Toady here, retired Navy Captain, former Commanding Officer, USS Indianapolis, former Chief Executive Officer of Spartan Corporation, and my book is From CO to CEO, A Practical Guide for Transitioning from Military to Industry Leadership. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 7, titled Mastering New Skills. So let's get right in it. Again, I'm doing these podcasts to introduce information that's contained in the book. You really do need to read the book. There's way too much information in there, and it's presented in a very nuanced fashion that's very difficult to cover in a podcast. Um, I'm trying to do one uh, podcast per chapter, but chapter seven in particular is filled with so much detailed information that you really do need to accelerate your success in industry that I it's difficult for me to cover that with any degree of clarity in, in a simple, short podcast. But I'm going to try to explain to you a little bit of the material that I cover um, because I think there's value in it. I opened Chapter 7 with a story from when I was CEO of that submarine, USS Indianapolis. Um, we were based out of Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Uh, Pacific Command was up at Camp Smith right up the hill from Pearl Harbor, and I was once asked to bring an Army one-star to sea with us just for a day uh, to kind of show him he was on the Pacific Command, now it's called Indo-PACOM, but then it was called PACOM. He was on the PACOM staff just to give him an idea of what a submarine does and what a submarine capability are. And my crew and I love to do these kinds of things. We love to show off our ship and our capabilities, so we relish the opportunity to bring him to sea with us. And we did. We, we got underway. We did all those kinds of things you do in you know, a submarine. We did. Uh, we shot torpedo. We pretended shooting Tomahawk missiles. We did some of the spooky things that submarines do that we can't talk about to give them an idea of, of what kind of surveillance capability we had. And then when we were pulling back into port, my idea was that I would, you know, get a, do what's called an unassisted landing to show him that during time of war, we could pull into an unimproved port by ourselves without help um, to reload torpedoes or whatever. I thought it was something that a PACOM leader should understand. So we pull into the pier without the tug standing by, not tied up, and my officer of the deck is doing a masterful job um, getting, the tug, getting the ship moored. We take our bow line across to a capstan on the bow, and he's pivoting. Um, the stern in using our what we call the outboard. It's a thruster that's at the stern of the ship. And he's hauling in the bow using the capstan. And at one point, he gives the order, a vast heaving, which tells the people on the bow to stop the capstan from turning. He, the bow's kind of where he wants it to be. The general's on the bridge with me, watching all this happen. And the general just kind of loses it when he hears this order, a vast heaving. Uh, you know, and his response was, I get it, the, the difference between the Navy and the Army now. You guys think you're frickin' pirates. And he's just so tickled over this order of vast heaving. He doesn't understand why in the heck in 1998 we're still using what he considered archaic orders like that. 
Of course, there's very good reason for it. Orders like that have been given on maritime naval vessels and ships for hundreds of years because they're pithy and they convey the exact meaning we intend to convey. But again, he didn't understand that. And it, it was sad to me because after all we had done during that underway, all the things we showed him, the thing he seemed to be most tickled by was this order, a vast heaving. And he left the ship laughing over this, this order. And I wondered if he'd learned anything on this underway other than that single order. And I make that point in the book because it really does highlight the differences in culture between the Army and the Navy. But as different as the Army is from the Navy, we're still tied together with the warrior spirit. You know, we're, we are closer aligned in cultures than your military culture may be from your civilian culture. So as different as that Army-Navy culture is, your military culture will be even more different from the company culture that you're going to join. And the point I make is you really do need to focus on the culture of that company that you're going to join and very rapidly assimilate into that culture. You need to have asked heaving on the old military culture that you have, have spent so much time learning and start figuring it out. And to that extent, it really is important that you think of your transition into industry as starting over again. For those of you that are senior ranks that are making this transition, you need to start thinking of yourselves if you're an officer as a second lieutenant or an ensign again. You, it's really important you get that mental attitude. You're starting over again. Now, I do not mean you forget all this wonderful knowledge that you've acquired over the course of your military experience. Remember, that one thing, right? Informed, passion to learn. Informed means you still remember all of those wonderful things you've learned during your time on active duty. But you don't know anything about what it's going to take to succeed in your new job. And it's really important you come in with the mental attitude that you're starting over again. And to that extent, that means abandoning your former military rank. And I'll talk about that. In, in a different chapter. You know, the culture of the, your new company is very important. Actually, there may be more than one culture in your new company. The company I joined was an amalgamation of different companies that had been acquired over time. And each of those divisions that used to be separate companies had their own culture. And I had to understand what culture was of the division I was joining and make sure in order to succeed, I acclimated to that culture, so you've got to be very sensitive to that. In the book, I also talk about organizational charts, how they differ from military chains of command. In industry, there is no chain of command per se. In, in, in the way that in the military, you've got to get everybody kind of on board before you move forward with the decision. That's generally not the case in industry. In industry, what's important is that you be effective and the correct decision made too late is likely to get you in trouble as opposed to a decision made on time even if you had to skip a few layers in order to get there. So it's gonna be important that you understand that and move forward with that. I talk about the, the interplay between three competing factors that influence the way business decisions are made. And those competing factors are the customer, the investors, and the employee base. And there is always interchange between those and trade-offs between those. And I, there's a, 
It's a very nuanced analysis that I present to you in the book. It's, I don't want to try to muck it up with this podcast. So I, again, I encourage you to read the book because of those three factors, there is one of the three that's actually slightly less important than the other two. I'll let you guess which one, but it's important that you understand that when you go into this new job because it affects stability. I also discussed the financial metrics that all companies and company leaders are measured against. Those metrics are bookings, sales, profit, and cash. And they're not the same. So again, it's important that you read and understand these differences, particularly if you're going into a profit and loss position. But regardless, if you go into any position in this industry, you're going to have an effect on one or more of those four financial metrics. Again, they are bookings, sales, profit, and cash. You're going to be able to influence those metrics when you join your company. And it's important that you understand what they are and how they're different and how you might influence them in the future. I also talk about the C-suite and what everybody's role is from the chief executive officer on down, the difference between the CEO and the president and things like that. So I cover all of the potential members of the C-suite that you might interface with when you take your job. As well, I talk about the board of directors and what their role is and the different positions within the board of directors and how if you're getting a position, you're applying for a position that requires board of directors approval, how that might affect your ability to get selected for that position. I also talk about how bid decisions are made in a company and how disappointed I am that so many people on the government side fail to understand how companies make bid decisions. If you're going to a defense company, it's really important that you understand this. Uh, there was a point in my career where I was giving regular lectures to executive program management course students at Defense Acquisition University in Fort Belvoir, Virginia. And I would talk about how bid decisions were made. And in fact, I would go through a case study on how a company made a no bid decision and it was so disappointing to me how little these very senior executives going to government acquisition jobs understood about how bid decisions were made. And the reason that's important is that by failing to understand how these decisions are made, they, I would say, suboptimized their acquisition strategies for very important programs. And, and it was always disappointing to me. And I encourage you to understand it as you make your transition. I talk about the various trade-offs in a program, and this is not limited to defense programs, this is any developmental program, civilian as well as defense, which are performance, cost, and schedule. And just like when I said you're, when you're applying for a job, you've got compensation, job type, and location, those three factors you're going to be trading off as you consider which job to accept. When you, for a developmental program, the factors are performance, cost, and schedule. You can generally get two of those three the way you want them. If you really have to be firm on performance and schedule, you're probably not going to like the way cost goes. If you're limited by, by budget and you've got a very strict cost limitation, you're going to probably end up giving up on either performance or schedule. That's just, I call it acquisition physics. 
That's the way it works and understanding that will give you a leg up before you transition. I talk about the way the defense acquisition process is supposed to work and then the way it actually works in practice. And the fact that it doesn't always work the way it's supposed to work, I present as not being a deficiency. I think that if it worked the way it was supposed to work, it would be even worse than it is. And it's pretty bad. In fact, I call the defense acquisition process a greater threat to American security than the Russians or the Chinese. And so I, talk, I go through all of that. And again, it's worth a read. You should really understand this. So as you can see, this is a very important chapter filled with a great deal of detail that may benefit from you reading more than once because these are all skills that I believe you are going to need to master to excel in your civilian career. And that's chapter seven. It's, it's a very rich chapter. In chapter eight, I'm going to talk a bit about things you might need to change with regard to your leadership skills when you make the transition to industry. So see you in chapter eight. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.